Welcome to the Covenant People's Ministry. Jesus once told Satan that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. We invite you to study the scriptures with us to learn about the words of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Our pastor is Mr. Jeremy Visser from Brooks, Georgia. You can contact us with your questions and comments at covenantpeoplesministry.org or simply write to Covenant People's Ministry, Post Office Box 256, Brooks, Georgia 30205. If you desire, you can also follow us on YouTube and Twitter. We would like to hear from you, and we pray in the name of Jesus Christ that His will will continue to reign upon us all. Once again, welcome to the Covenant People's Ministry, and here is Pastor Visser with our next Bible study. Hello again, faithful friend. This is Pastor Visser of Brooks, Georgia, and the Covenant People's Ministry, once again bringing you another Bible study. And today, we're going to be taking a look at the words of the major prophet Isaiah, so please turn there now. As many of you are full aware, Isaiah was a prophet to Israel, whereas when we read the words of Isaiah, we know that Isaiah is speaking to who? The Israelite people. Not the land of Israel there in the Middle East, but the Israelite people then and now by extension. So we're going to be reading more specifically chapter 6 of Isaiah. Because it's in chapter 6 where Isaiah sees Yahweh God. He gives a description of Yahweh that I think is imperative into understanding who our Heavenly Father is. It's also here in chapter 6 where Isaiah has his sins forgiven. Which is quite interesting because many people, at least in mainstream Christianity, don't believe that sins can be forgiven, at least until Jesus Christ came, because they disannul the law in its entirety, and they don't understand what the law represents and who it was that fulfilled that law. The irony of Isaiah is that what we're going to cover right now is exactly why Jesus Christ came, whom he came to, and why he would speak in parables, so as not to bring salvation to anybody who opens their heart, or anybody who believes. Chapter 6 also deals with Isaiah being called to prophesy, to become a prophet. Not only that, it deals with a foretelling of the Israelites rejecting the Word of God. More specifically, Christ. Christ, all the way back in the Old Testament. Now, what I want you to understand is that all these things were foretold. Jesus Christ said, I have foretold you all things. So, if you have a question, for example, from your New Testament, you say, why is it that Jesus Christ would come and speak in parables and not even preach in anything but a parable in certain instances? You should be able to go back and understand. And I pray that this particular lecture will shed more light on why. But without further ado, Isaiah chapter 6, beginning in verse 1. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw also Yahweh sitting upon his throne, high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. Now that's a straightforward verse, is it not? It's Isaiah saying that all of this happened at the same time that King Uzziah died. So you can go back to the Kings and Chronicles and understand at what point in history this took place. But he says that he sees Yahweh God sitting upon a throne. Not only being high and lifted up, but his train. 
built the temple. Now, train is one of those Anglo-Israel words that still means the same exact thing today. In fact, when a woman gets married, she has a train that will follow her. Some manuscripts render this as the hem of his garment, or the skirts thereof, meaning straightforwardly, that's what it means. <laughs> Isaiah sees Yahweh God, and he fills his temple, his glory. Not only is he sitting upon his throne, because of course only Yahweh God can, while it is that Lucifer and many men down here try to exalt their throne <laughs> above the stars of Yahweh God. It is Yahweh God who sits at the seventh and top level of heaven, according to Enoch. But that being a study for another day, verse 2. Above it stood the seraphims. Some manuscripts render this cherubim. Now I want to stop right there, once again, because there are many people out there who profess to teach the Bible. And why it is that they have such a problem understanding what angels are and how they appear to men is beyond me. But in Solomon's temple, right here, what we're covering in Isaiah chapter 6 and numerous other places, we're going to find out that angels seemingly all have wings. Why is that? Not only that, the seraph, the ophanum, the cherubim, and the thronos all work together and are pretty much interchangeable. Pay close attention to verse 2. Above it stood the seraphims. What? The throne of Yahweh God, just as he commanded in Solomon's temple. Above the mercy seat of Yahweh God, where Yahweh God sits, well, there are two angels with what? Wings outstretched. So above it, the mercy seat, stood the seraphims. Each one had six wings. With twain, or two, he covered his face. And with twain, he covered his feet. And with twain, he did fly. Now, tying perfectly into Ezekiel's vision of the highly polished bronze and the throne of Yahweh God with the uh, angels that do the same exact thing, <laughs> cover their face, cover their feet, and fly at the same exact time. Understand that many people are going to come and say, you know what, angels don't have wings, but yet every single time in Scripture we are taught that angels pretty much have wings. Seraphims, most assuredly. But these seraphims had six wings at the throne of Yahweh God. What does this represent? Well, keep reading. And one cried unto another and said, Holy, holy, holy is Yahweh of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Now, some manuscripts, of course spurious ones, render this, the whole earth is full of Jesus Christ. And that could be erroneous. But understand also, these seraphim praise Yahweh God continually. We also are taught this in Job chapter 38. For example, in the very beginning, when Yahweh God asked Job, Who hath laid the measures thereof, if thou knowest? Or who hath stretched the line upon it? Whereupon are the foundations of the earth thereof fastened? Or who laid the cornerstone thereof? Who's that cornerstone? Verse 7 of Job chapter 38. When the morning stars sang together, and all the sons of God shouted for joy. If anything you take from this sermon, take the fact that in Scripture, stars equate to the sons of God, to angels more specifically. Why? Because in the creation, when we read in Genesis, for example, in Genesis chapter 1, 
you'll understand why it is that Yahweh God created light in the very beginning. But yet it was not until the fourth day that God created the sun, the moon, and the quote-unquote stars. Verse 16 of Genesis 1, God made two great lights, the greater light to rule the day, the lesser light to rule the night. He made the stars also. Also, this ties into when Jesus Christ says, The star shall fall, the sun will not give its light, neither will the moon in the book of Revelation. Stars equate to the sons of God. Scripture attests to the fact that there is here a little, there a little, and that precept must be upon precept. It is in the glory of Yahweh God to conceal a matter, but it is the duty of saints to seek that matter out. Understand that the reason Jesus Christ spoke in parables when he walked during his ministerial reign was so that not everyone could hear, not everyone could repent, and that Yahweh God would not have to heal each and every one of them. To your flippant Zionist Christian, they're going to say, hey, that doesn't sound very loving. Well, it's not loving. At least not to the other nations of the earth, because what we deal with from Genesis to Revelation in this script is about the history of one man's family. And of course I can confirm that. One cried unto the other, back in Isaiah chapter 6, verse 3, and said, Holy, holy, holy is Yahweh God of hosts. The whole earth is full of His glory. And understand that. That this earth is full of Yahweh's glory. It's up to you, the saints, to seek it out, to look for it, to be able to see it and recognize it when it shows itself. Because if you're not called and not in the right perception or frame of mind, you're going to miss it. You're going to walk around like a pessimist saying, Oh, woe is me, the world is horrible. And you're never going to see the glory of Yahweh God out there. Understand, we're taught in Scripture that the things of God's creation clearly see and understand the other things that are created of Yahweh God. Meaning we don't walk around saying, You know what Obama did? Rather, we walk around saying, Jesus Christ is soon returning. And that's exactly what we're dealing with here. The whole earth is full of Yahweh's glory. That should be common sense. But yet, we have Judeo-Christians down here who love lying and telling people, you know what, Yahweh God doesn't know what you do. Of course, Scripture says He knows every hair on your head. He knows every thought in your mind. But yet, we have these liars behind the pulpit who come in and say, yeah, Whatever you do is hidden of Yahweh God. That's why we must confess our sins to Him. He doesn't know. Uh, verse 4 of Isaiah chapter 6. And the posts of the door moved at the voice of Him that cried, and the house was filled with smoke. Now we can read about this more in Ezekiel chapter 1 again. When we deal with Ezekiel explaining how the throne of Yahweh God looks, that there are seraphim at all four corners, that it can move. But what you need to understand is that there are angels, and that is why Satan says, I will cast my throne above the throne of God. I will exalt myself above all that is called God, so that I in the temple of God can show myself to be a God. But remember, he's just a false idol, he's not a God at all. Why am I stressing this? Because again, Satan comes first. It's not Jesus Christ. New manuscript in verse 5 of Isaiah chapter 6. Then said I, Isaiah speaking, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, 
and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For mine eyes have seen the King, capitalized, the Lord of hosts. Here Isaiah is saying, I have seen Yahweh God. And he didn't look like a hippie. He didn't look like Charles Manson. But rather what I saw, just like Judah and anybody else who's ever seen the throne of God, Isaiah says he sees the seraphim, each with six wings, each crying continually, just like the morning stars they are, glory, 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 singing together with joy. Because that is what Yahweh God created, not only his angelic messengers to do, but also his Israelite men and women. This is why it is important for us to give God the glory, to thank him for all the blessings that he has given us. Isaiah did the same. So did Jesus Christ. Isaiah says, you know what? I'm a man of unclean lips. <laughs> Meaning, what proceeds from Isaiah's mouth could be blasphemies, could be untruth, could be lies. But from his book, not so. See, each and every one of us are imperfect without our Heavenly Father. This is why we are told to be perfect. Because Yahweh God is perfect. Now, perfection is most assuredly something that we cannot achieve. Jesus Christ was the only one. But that is the pattern laid out in Scripture that we are to strive to achieve. Perfection. Be ye perfect, just like God. So, he says, I am not perfect. I am a person of unclean lips. I am an Israelite, in short. And, not only this, I'm being sent to a people who are of unclean lips. <laughs> who would rather worship the heathen, who would rather do anything but follow Yahweh God, the same exact group of Israelites who said, we don't want Yahweh God to rule over us. We'd rather have Saul as a king. Well, remember, Isaiah right here is saying much like Jonah did, that I don't really want to go to the Israelites. First and foremost, I'm not perfect, and I'm not righteous. And not only that, you're sending me to a group of people who are apostatized, and have been since their creation in the original sin. Why? Well, let's keep reading. Verse 6. Then flew one of the seraphims unto me, having a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from off the altar. And he laid it upon my mouth, and said, Lo, this has touched thy lips, and thine iniquity is taken away, and thy sin purged. Interesting of note, is it not? Because right here, Yahweh God forgave sins, but how did he do it? Once again, like always, what we see is Yahweh God being righteous, perfect, but at the same time omnipotent. Because he is omnipotent, he has no part in evil, albeit he creates it and controls it. Thus, anything created of the left hand of Yahweh God is sent by angels, and anything from the right hand. This is why in the New Testament we are commanded to be kind-hearted towards strangers, because thereby have many entertained angels unaware. In short, angels can appear however Yahweh God wants them to appear. But in its most simplistic terms, angels are the right and left hand of Yahweh God. Here, an angel comes, takes a coal off the fire from before the throne of Yahweh God, off the very altar itself. And he lays it upon his mouth and says, Lo, this has touched thy lips. What? This coal. 
thine iniquity. Your sins are taken away. And your sin is purged. Some manuscripts render this as uncleanliness, considering the context. But that's exactly what's being discussed. Uncleanliness, iniquity, sin, all those things are purged. Isaiah was being set straight before he was to go and prophesy to Yahweh's chosen people. Interesting of note is this verse here ties perfectly into Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 9, where it says, Yahweh put forth his hand and touched my mouth, and Yahweh said unto me, Behold, I have put my words in thy mouth. So we see this is a common practice. We see that's your second witness. We see that Isaiah is not making something up here. Back in Isaiah chapter 6, verse 7, Thy sin is purged. You must be a clean vessel in order to reach the Israelite men, women, and children. Here, the context is speech. Something as simple and trivial as that. Having a vile mouth, bearing false witness, using profanity and words that society deems as crude. Well, when it's all said and done, we must have our sins purged in order to be able to prophesy. And of course, this may be a study for another day, but as it is, this is how it goes. Be ye perfect. Verse 8. Also, Isaiah speaking, I heard the voice of Yahweh saying, Whom shall I send? And who will go for us? Then said I, Here am I, send me. Much like Moses, Here am I, an unwilling vessel, albeit I'm chosen of Yahweh God, therefore, really don't have much free will within this, do I? And that concept of predestination and free will may be a study that I bring forth from this pulpit in the near future. But understand, he says, Here am I, just as Miriam did when Gabrielle appears to her and said, Blessed are you among women, you shall conceive in your womb. Mary says, Be it unto me according to thy will, your word. Here Yahweh God says, Who shall I send to these Israelite people, these stiff-necked, hard-hearted, rebellious people that I have created, to show forth my glory who seemingly never can, because they are apostatized by the nations round about. And Isaiah says, Well, you know what? Here am I. I will go for you. Do you understand why it is that Yahweh God speaks through the mouth of His prophets? Why these words are transcribed by those same said prophets? Yahweh God could come down and speak for Himself. He does. But He'd rather speak through His prophets because why? A, that's familiar. No man has seen Yahweh God at any time and been spared. Now, as it stands, Isaiah seen Him, but what he saw was the throne of God. Not God de facto on earth. Because if he were to do that, he would be just like Moses and his countenance would change. He would probably be all white within his face. But God is now saying, who shall I send to these people? Isaiah says, I'll be part of that. Why is this important? Because this is technically setting the stage as to the entire book of Isaiah. Right here, what we're about to read in this new paragraph, beginning in verse 9. He said, who? Yahweh God, speaking to Isaiah. He said, go and tell this people, hear ye indeed, but understand not, and see ye indeed, but perceive not. What does this mean? This means that even though people out there have eyes and are able to see, 
They're still blind, many of them, when it pertains to the words of Yahshua Messiah. Also, that because many people may be educated and well-learned and have gone to college, that doesn't necessarily denote the fact that they're going to understand the deeper intricacies of Yahweh God. So, they may be able to see, but they don't see. They may be able to hear and understand, but they don't understand God, Yahweh. This is why he says, go, you have my free reign, just as Yahweh told the devil in the beginning two chapters of the book. Go, and tell this people, hear ye indeed, but understand not. This is what he's supposed to tell them. By extension, a genuine prophet's going to tell them the same thing. You hear it, you read it, but you don't understand it. This is what it means. Not only that, ye see indeed, but you perceive not. You're able to see the preacher and see the words written down, but you're confused as to who Israel is. You're confused as to who Yahshua Messiah is, whether he's Jew or Israelite, for example. Thank you for listening to the Covenant People's Ministry broadcast. If you have enjoyed hearing the message of the gospel and would like to be a part of our fellowship or receive quarterly newsletters where you can order Pastor Visser's CD sermons, be sure to write to us at CPM, Post Office Box 256, Brooks, Georgia, 30205. You can also visit us on the web at covenantpeoplesministry.net, where our extensive audio section features numerous broadcasts, or you can easily listen to Pastor Visser by Godcast through your mobile audio device. Our sermons and videos are made possible by your tithes and offerings. If you wish to support this ministry, make checks or money orders payable to Covenant People's Ministry. Your donations help us to reach the lost sheep of the house of Israel, wherever they may be found. Remember that Jesus Christ is our all, and is in all that have been renewed in His Holy Spirit. So we hope that you will allow Him to lead your life and help to build His church, so that when He returns, He will find faith upon this earth. We urge you to be a living example of Christian faith and apply His words to your lives. It has been a pleasure to have you with us, and now we will return to Pastor Visser's Bible study message. But let's continue reading because this ties perfectly into the New Testament narratives, and I shall prove that shortly. Verse 10 of Isaiah 6, Yahweh continues, Make the heart of this people, which people? The Israelite people. Isaiah was a prophet to Israel. Make the heart of the Israelites fat, and make their ears heavy, and shut their eyes, lest they see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and convert, and be healed. That is the reason why. God, right here, is making their eyes a little more blind, their heart a little more wicked and or fat, their ears heavy so that they cannot hear. Now, many people are going to come and say, well, that doesn't sound like a God I want to follow. But on the same token, they'll turn right around and say the Jews are God's chosen people, chosen above every other nation on the face of the earth. But when you read them something like that, it doesn't make sense. Why would Yahweh God willfully blind the majority? And I'm going to give you the numerical value of the elect, the semi-elect, and those in the middle. But why? And what bearing does this have on the New Testament? Well, I'm sure you've read this before. And you don't need to turn there, but I'll go there very quickly to prove my point. One of the points in the four 
Gospels where Jesus Christ fulfilled this very prophecy that is being handed down to Isaiah right here. Understand, what I'm saying to you in short is Jesus Christ didn't come so that everyone who believes in him will be saved. Jesus Christ came for the remnant, the Zadok. This is why he said, I am come only for the lost sheep of the house of Israel. This is also why he instructed his latter disciples to go only to that same lost sheep from amongst the ranks and or the tribes of Israel. The rest of them were blinded. How can I say that? Well, Matthew chapter 13, beginning in verse 13, Jesus Christ says, Therefore, speak I to them in parables, because they seeing see not, and hearing they hear not, neither do they understand. And in them who the Israelites is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah, which saith, By hearing ye shall hear, and ye shall not understand. And seeing ye shall see, and shall not perceive. For this people's heart is wax gross, and their eyes are dull of hearing, and their eyes they have closed, lest at any time they should see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and should understand with their heart, and should be converted, and I should heal them. I, Jesus Christ said. What we're dealing with here in Isaiah chapter 6, is the giving of this prophecy that was fulfilled in Jesus Christ and still is to this day. Jesus Christ came and spoke in parables so that the non-select, the non-elect of Yahweh God could not understand. How can I say that next verse? Blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. Christ also continues, For verily I say unto you, that many prophets and righteous men have desired to see those things which ye see, and have not seen them, and to hear those things which ye hear, and have not heard them. Now that, for the most part, means those that come before, but also, by extension, in the latter apostasy. Many of the Old Testament prophets would have looked forward to living in an era like today, where these prophecies were fulfilled. Because at the times of Isaiah, I'm sure there were many Israelite men, women, and children saying, that doesn't sound fair. Why would Yahweh select one vessel and cast another one out for dishonor? But at the times of Christ, thousands of years later, it made sense, does it not? Why? Because the fulfilling of prophecy is clarity. It explains. Now, it's the glory of God to conceal a matter, meaning it's obscured. But when that obscurity comes to full clarity and you're able to understand exactly what happened, that leads to an ever-increasing faith in Yahweh God. At least it should. And now here we live in an era where we're seeing this fulfilled. Time and time again. You can tell them, Hey, Jesus Christ is not a Jew. He's an Israelite. It's right there in the first four books of the Bible. At least the New Testament. And they're going to argue because they cannot see. Understand it, this is why I said time and time again, those who go around beating people over the head with the Word of God, they make things worse. Christ led by example. And when the Pharisees, the Sanhedrin, and the enemy would come in and they would say, you know what, that's not what Scripture says, he would say, you err in not knowing the Scripture. He wouldn't beat them over the head and say, you know what, you better accept you're an Israelite. Rather, when they came to him, Jesus would provide an answer in season and out of season. In this, I can sum it up very shortly by saying, Yahweh God does the leading. He says He will lead His sheep. 
Does he not? Christ says, my sheep hear my voice. They will follow. You cannot make a goat a sheep. No more than you can turn a whore into a housewife or a sodomite into a non-pervert. It's not going to happen. Yahweh God created everybody to be exactly who he is, including the wicked, for the day of evil. If Yahweh God created and reserves those angels that fell, just as an example, in chains of darkness for that day of Yahweh God, then what manner of man should you be? Knowing all this will be dissolved, and it will be. In fact, very shortly, I'm going to be bringing forth a study dealing with the return of Jesus Christ and all the signs that are going to happen. This is part of it. The slumbering of the Israelite people. When did that happen? Did it happen here in Isaiah's time? Well, it happened all the way back in the very beginning when those curses were laid out between Adam, Eve, and the serpent. When that original sin commenced. When Yahweh God announced the first curse. An eternal curse of enmity between the two seeds. What I want you to understand is, this is why the world did not accept Jesus Christ. And this is assuredly why the majority of the world will not accept you. Because they don't accept Him. They don't accept His Word. It does not matter to those who are deceived how many times you say, it's in the Bible. It's in the Bible right here in Isaiah chapter 6, verse 10. God's making it so not everyone can hear, not everyone can be healed, not everyone can be saved. And they come in and say it doesn't matter. Why? Because they don't believe the Bible in the first place. And that's one thing they all have in common. The Catholics say, I still support the Papist Church, but I don't agree with this thing Pope John Paul II said. I don't agree with this thing that Pope Francis said. Most Jews will come and say, you know what, yes, I was raised within Judaism, but I'm non-practicing, but still support the synagogue. It doesn't work that way. You are what you are. Understand that. You are whom you support. You are responsible for everyone you mislead and for everyone you bring into the truth. Yahweh God may use you and consider that awesome responsibility to bring sheep into the fold. But Yahweh God can use no one, hear me, Durkin spoke from Judas, to the most righteous disciple, like Peter and John, to bring somebody that he has cursed back under the covenant. Yahweh God considers the devil to be the son of perdition, meaning he's already sentenced to perish. You can't change that. Back to what we're reading in verse 11 of Isaiah chapter 6. Then said I, Isaiah speaking, Lord, how long? And he answered, Until the cities be wasted without inhabitant, and the houses without man, and the land be utterly desolate. A tohu. Until the end. That's what Yahweh God is saying. Isaiah says, How long will the Israelite people not be able to understand your word without divine intervention, without being called and chosen? And Yahweh God's response to that is until the end. Until every city is laid waste. Until every great kingdom of man is destroyed and reduced to rubble. When they're wasted without inhabitant. And every house that is built is without a man. Verse 12. And Yahweh have removed men far away. And there be a great forsaking in the midst of the land. What's a polite way of saying forsaking an apostasy? Once again, we learn that Yahweh God is going to allow the apostasy to get worse before His return. 
Now, perhaps you're up over about 40 years old, and you remember about 20 years ago, people saying, well, Jesus Christ isn't going to return. Now, 20 years later, knowing what you know, are you going to be the type of person to say, well, it hasn't happened in the last 20 years, I'm not patient enough to wait on Yahweh God, therefore Yahweh God is not real, or the opposite, be patient and wait, and understand he is correct. Men will come and say, you know what, God is wrong. They've been saying that since the times of Isaiah, we've proven that just today, but it doesn't make it true. What is true is God's Word. God's Word will tell you. Christ said, I have foretold you all things. There will be deception down here on the face of this earth until the earth and the cities are wasted without inhabitant. And Yahweh God removes men far away. Why? Pay close attention. This is the final verse of this particular study in Isaiah chapter 6. And the final verse of Isaiah chapter 6. But yet, in it, shall be a tenth, and it shall return, and shall be eaten, as a tailed tree, and as an oak, whose substance is in them. Pay close attention. When they cast their leaves, so the holy seed shall be the substance thereof. The holy seed being the substance. Understand, like a tree, though its leaves be scattered, we will be reconciled. Every year, a tree will grow up within those seasons. They will put on leaves, and in fall, they will drop those leaves. Every year, if you will, there's a proverbial rebirth and a death for every tree, for every season, for every man, woman, and child. Right here, we learn the number of the elect and why Yahweh God will shorten those days. In it, in who? In Israel, there shall be a tenth One out of ten Israelite men, women, and children are the remnant. Remember that when somebody comes along and tells you all Israel saved. Right here, we're told only a tenth are going to make it in. So when it comes down to it, understand, even though you're white, if you don't make it into the kingdom, you're not an Israelite. How hard is that to understand? God created Adam on both the sixth and the eighth days, one being singular, one being plural. Who do you think it was the Israelites that are married into? (laughs) wasn't their brothers and sisters that again is a study for another day don't make the mistake of thinking because I'm white I don't have to do anything just because you're white doesn't mean you're Israelite albeit all Israelites are Anglo-Saxons another thing to notice about verse 13 in Isaiah chapter 6 is that once again men more specifically Israelite men, women and children the called of Yahweh God are equated to trees and oak a tail tree, and not only that, that their substance is within them. Why does Yahweh God in Genesis, why does Jesus Christ in His Gospels, and here even, the Old Testament prophets, use the terminology of a tree? In its most simplistic terms, again, it is because trees bring forth fruit. And if a fruit tree does not bring forth fruit, it is good for nothing, just as an Israelite man, woman, or child. The best you can do with a non-fruiting fruit tree is cut it down and burn it for warmth in the winter. That's it. It's not going to bring forth anything, and if it stops producing fruit, it will eventually rot, wither back, and infect every other tree in the orchard. That's one such analogy. This is why the agricultural themes are from Genesis to Revelation. 
Our people are a farming people. Adam was created to be a governor in Eden. <laughs> so we understand this terminology. When Christ says, any branch that does not abide within me is lopped off and hewn down and thrown in the fire, you understand why. It's common sense. If you were to lop it down and not throw it in the fire, it would sit below the tree, rot, and that rot would eventually rot the living tree. Everything that is wicked, crooked, and perverted must be purged. This is called the great and terrible day of Yahweh God. And what we covered today from chapter 6 proves that there will be deception until the second advent of Jesus Christ. Those days, of course, are shortened for the elect, but the deception is for them not to be healed and for the elect, the remnant, God's chosen people to be. What's this mean? This means Yahweh God is still calling. He is still leading. He is still directing our people's paths. Even though we are in apostasy and have been for thousands of millennia, it's about to get worse, and I shall prove that most likely next month. But there will be a falling away. In the land shall be a tenth, and only that tenth shall return. And in them is the holy seed and the substance thereof. Not the rest. Just because they're white does not mean they have the holy seed within them. If they are white and an Israelite and can hear truth and are called and sealed of Yahweh God, then they are. Perhaps this is why Paul says, ye are a chosen priesthood, a royal priesthood, a chosen race. And so, we very quickly covered the entire sixth chapter of Isaiah, although it's extremely short, only 13 verses. But in it, I explain several things, and I want you to take them home from this particular study. One is, Yahweh God does not have it set, so anybody who believes is automatically a Christian. Point in case, Christ confirmed it being the second witness. Second point, Isaiah was an unwilling prophet. What does that show? That shows that all prophets are unwilling. Beware of the egotistical bastard who's trying to make a name of himself when Jesus Christ himself said, let this cup pass from me. When Jonah said, I don't want to go into Nineveh, and Isaiah here even said, why? Are these people really worth your time? <laughs> Genuine prophets are reluctant. False prophets are always eager to tell you what they want to hear. Third point is this, the deception that Yahweh God put upon our people will be until the second advent of Yahweh God. Third point, seraphim are always at the four corners of the earth. This is confirmable in the parable of the tares and the wheat when Jesus Christ himself sends those four angels. This is also confirmable in the book of Revelation where that angel is cast down with the key to the bottomless pit. And perhaps the angels of the four corners, like those who held that great sheet to Peter in the book of Acts, will be a study I'll bring forth as well. Because what is it represents? It's really actually simple. The four directions, north, west, south, east. The four seasons, winter, summer, spring, fall. Read Enoch. He'll explain who controls the weather. But, perhaps most importantly, of all of this is that. Verse 12 of Isaiah 6. Yahweh have removed men far away, and there shall be a great forsaking in the midst of the land. What does that mean? That when the apostasy gets worse, he's going to do his calling more so. Those that are deceived will continue to wax worse, just like the book of Revelation says. 
Those that are filthy will be filthy still. But in a time of great apostasy, that is a time where you can wake people up. Obama has been my best recruiter. Point in case, I hate to say it, but it's true. The more evil Obama does, the more my numbers grow. The more people go and listen to things I say, and they don't really hold them like conspiratorial as they used to. Why? Because it's not funny anymore, is it? Not when it's affecting you in your pocketbook. Not when you're about to lose your home, your daughters, and everything else you've ever believed in. Yeah, well, they should have listened to me ten years ago. And they should have listened to Isaiah thousands of years ago. Now, it is simply too late. And except Yahweh God shortens those days, no flesh will be spared. That includes you. So keep your mind right. Keep your humility about you. Because when it's all said and done, the fire that is coming upon this world of the ungodly will not affect us. But it will destroy every rudiment. Rudiments are those things that Yahweh God did not create, or those things that he created and man or the devil has perverted, but also those that are none of his. If you do not know Yahweh God, it is a safe bet that in that day of fire, Yahweh God neither will know you. So my advice is this, stay strong within the faith. Do not allow the enemy to quench your spirit. There's many ways of doing that. Listening to uh, the news is one such way. Listening to false prophets is another way. Listening to doomsday prophets is yet another way. Where they'll come along and say, there is no hope, there is no hope, there is no hope. A genuine prophet's going to tell you this. It's going to get worse. It's always gotten worse. Apostasy is just that, a downward spiral. There's never a break from it. But they will also tell you at the same time, there is hope. That's the difference. Man rules through fear or sickness. God rules with a rod of iron. And when it's all said and done, you're a fool not to side with the winning team. Hear me. And I'm saying this to all you naturalists, you Satanists who think that you can raise up demons and minions. You really want to know how to do that? Then be right with Yahweh God. And then everything else is bound under you. Until then, you're simply just a tool doing the work of the devil, or, in short, man's will, contrary to Yahweh God. Until next time, this is Pastor Visser wishing you and yours great studies, war for Christ. Amen. Covenant People's Ministry! Thank you for listening to this message. We hope that you have enjoyed studying with us. Remember the words that Christ has given. That wherever two or three are gathered in my name, there I am in the midst of them. We hope that you will gather together with us at the online ministry's website, which is covenantpeoplesministry.com, and share your Christian testimonies or ask questions and enjoy biblical fellowship. You can also order CDs of Pastor Visser's Bible Studies and enjoy many other Christian resources through the church's website or write to Covenant People's Ministry, Post Office Box 256, Brooks, Georgia, 30205. We thank you for your prayers and offerings and pray that all of you have been touched by these messages and continue to spread the word of the gospel with your friends and family. Thanks again and may the love of Christ abide in you and yours forever and ever. Amen.